at some point the SDGs will be achieved. I don't think mm-hmm. they're, they're not going to be all of them achieved by, um, you know, by the end of the decade. But um, uh, you know, bit by bit, humanity has made some some progress. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen, an attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Bloom, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And as always, I'm delighted with today's guest. Um, and he will introduce himself. Chris, please go ahead. My name is Chris Herlinger. Uh, I live in New York City this month, September 2021. It will be 30 years since I arrived in New York City. Um, I started out my work as a, as a journalist. I've been a working journalist all my life. Um, and I came to New York City after about 10 years in newspapers, working on newspapers in the state of Minnesota, where I went to college. I attended McAllister College, a small liberal arts college in St. Paul. And it was, uh, I can say, very much, uh, very much happy to say it was at McAllister that I really found the foundation that I have used all my life to work on international issues, report on international issues. I majored in uh, in history uh, and had a minor in English and East, East Asian studies. During my junior year, I was uh, a student in Hong Kong, which was a wonderful event, which uh, you know expanded my, my view of the world. And when I was in uh, when I was in Minnesota working as a newspaper journalist, uh, even then I was I was doing trips about uh, once once a year outside the U.S. and the the wars in Central America were were going on at the time, and the, f- the first trip I took was to uh, Honduras, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Mexico, and then after that I did other trips to uh, Chile, South Africa, uh, the Philippines, and those uh, those trips were important. Uh, I was part of a group of people uh, under the um, aegis of the uh, Center for Global Education, which was a um, educational group, uh, international group at Augsburg College in, in Minneapolis. But it was there, uh, th- those trips w- were important because I began to write about issues of religion, uh, social issues internationally, um, hunger. And that led me ultimately to get a fellowship to study at Union Theological Seminary in New York City, where I was from. Uh, what was it, 91 to 93, I got a master's in theology. Mm-hmm. And after that, uh, uh, settled in New York City, worked uh, for a while as a freelancer for the United Methodist Church. Then after that, I worked for Church World Service as a writer, 
later senior writer. I was at CWS for eight, 18 years. Um, and at the same time, uh, well, let me say that was a very important part of my career. I did a, a lot of travel uh, internationally. I, the places I went to, there were so many, my goodness. Um, Afghanistan, Indonesia, um, Sudan, uh, Honduras after, after that, that, that really, after, what was it, Hurricane Mitch. Um, I was in the Balkans uh, uh, during and after those, those wars there. Um, and I know I'll be missing, missing, oh, certainly Haiti. I mean, that was, a, that was another very important place after, after the earthquake. So um, by the time I left CWS, I was, uh, I think, pretty well versed in the world of international uh, disaster response. Um, and also development issues were front and center. Um, during that time, I was also freelancing and began a relationship with National Catholic Reporter, which is a um, independent uh, newspaper in Kansas City, which reports on the Catholic Church, uh, religious issues in general, um, and uh, but humanitarian issues. And I would, from my trips for CWS, I would I would freelance articles uh, uh, about my travel and uh, always made sure to talk to sisters and priests when I was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I do remember one, I don't know if you can find it online, I think it's buried somewhere on some internet mm-hmm. burial site, but yeah. uh, I do remember a very important trip for me was uh, a trip I took for CWS to Liberia mm-hmm. after after the war there. And I that was still, that was very, very vivid. Um, I want to go back to the Afghanistan experience in, in a in a moment because I've been I've been thinking about that lately, given the, the 9/11 anniversary and what's happened in in Kabul. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, after uh, I left CWS and got a got a position uh, working for Global Sisters Report, which is a project of of National Catholic Reporter. Uh, we are a project that's funded through the Hilton Foundation. And what we do is highlight the work of Catholic sisters throughout the world, both in the U.S. and internationally. Um, my title is international correspondent, and in that role, I do some travel uh, every year, although that's been curtailed, obviously, in the last year and three quarters. But we're hoping that will resume um, probably next year. Uh, but I also cover the U.N., uh, what uh, what sisters are doing in terms of ad- advocacy work at the United Nations. That, that's you know incredible when when I me and, and the listeners are are you know listening carefully to you and and everything that you experienced. Um, if I ask you, you know, to, to tell us if, you know, what article you have written for the sisters, uh, you know, in the last couple of years, you know, what is then the article that is closest to your heart that, that uh, really, you know, yeah, meant a, uh, meant a lot for you as, 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 as Chris Hurlinger, who has, you know, been sure. working in this field sure. for, for quite some time. Sure. Oh, there's so there's so many. Um, the, the migration series 
we did a, a few years ago. I, I think that was important. Um, two or three years ago, but I was I was in I was in Rome and then uh, in uh, very briefly in Athens. But interviewing uh, people from from the Middle East who, who had arrived um, in in those in Italy and in and in Greece. Um, those stories, their stories, are very very you know, moving. I think the um, certainly in the last you know, COVID, we've we've done we've had a lot of coverage on that, um, and that's that's been tough. That's been tough in some ways. Uh, I've known three people who died of COVID. Um, not thankfully family or close friends, but but people one family friend from Denver where I grew up. And then, but two people I knew from my time travels. There was a sister who was actually doing work, um, an Italian sister in Rome, doing work with uh, with migrants. And uh, I interviewed her for a story. She died. And then um, a Catholic, uh, a Catholic bishop I knew in uh, when I was in um, uh, Bangladesh, who was a wonderful man and who um, was very hospitable to me. And uh, he was a, just a very decent guy. And obviously the Catholics in Bangladesh are minority, very small minority. And uh, he was a good, a good shepherd, you know, if I can, if I can use that phrase. So I did a, I did a, I did a long obituary on him. We did a series on homelessness, which uh, I was I was the one who thought, uh, given my experiences here in New York City, um, just seeing homeless people, people who are homeless uh, on the streets, I thought it would be a, a worthwhile topic. And so we ended up doing a very, very, this was two years ago, we did a very, very long series on that that encompassed both work sisters are doing here in the U.S. and also internationally. Um, mm-hmm. So that was significant. Mm-hmm. But I'll say the the one piece that's maybe closest to me right now mm-hmm. is a piece I did just just uh, last week on personal reflections on on nine eleven, mm-hmm. and that uh, I, I was here in New York. I was working for Church World Service at the time um, on nine eleven. Um, so I wrote about my experiences in New York City that day and in, and in the following days and weeks. But it was tied up. Um, as it had to be with my experience in Afghanistan, which um, I had been uh, in Afghanistan just uh, in July before 9-11, just two months before, um, for Church World Service and for uh, Action by Churches Together, the ACT Alliance, um, reporting with a, a colleague from Denmark, Niels Karstensen. Uh, we were doing some reporting on a, on a drought, which was not at the time getting getting a lot of attention in the West. And so um, it was a wonderful trip. It was maybe the best single trip I've taken in my life, just because mm. we we had the opportunity to basically travel across the country. And uh, we were left alone. Uh, the Taliban. I'm no fan of the Taliban, but I will say they were very respectful to us in terms of giving us uh, travel permits and all that. Um, but uh, obviously, we, we saw the results of Taliban rule, which was, uh, you know, quite, quite tragic, obviously. Um, but 
Afghanistan somehow got in, into in, got into my head. It's I, I can think of three countries that have sort of had that effect on me. Um, Afghanistan would be one. Um, Haiti would be another. I think Haiti's the country I've been to the most on my travels. I think five or six times. Uh, and then and then South Sudan. Um, these countries have faced enormous difficulties and continue to face enormous difficulties and challenges. Hmm. And yet I'm just always, I've always been struck by how resilient people are in these, in these circumstances. Um, but they're the three countries I'm always kind of, you know, if I can use the phrase rooting for, hmm. um, but uh, they always, they always seem to face considerable challenges. You know, when when you, what do you hope to achieve with the article, with the articles that you write? Well, I, you know, when you're young, um, when you're young, you you think you're going to change the world somehow. And I, I think those I'm 61. Those of us from my time uh, growing up in the in the 70s, uh, you know, I think we looked at uh, Woodward and Bernstein the reporters on the Washington Post who uncovered the Watergate scandal. I think those were, those guys were kind of our models, you know, and we, I think journalists thought, uh, you know, we could, we could change the world with our journalism. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit more, more modest about what, what we can do. I think, especially in this, this era where that world I knew as a young journalist, as a young high school student, um, starting to think about journalism. I mean, that, that, world that print world is as we know is really no longer with us so it's a different it's a different media landscape so um there's so many voices and so many distractions in our media laden world um i don't think i'm thinking necessarily that reporting is going to change the world but i in a big way but i do think it's important to cast light on topics that might not otherwise get covered and so in my in my reporting throughout the last 40 years, you know, issues, humanitarian issues like like hunger, like like poverty, um, what people like the Catholic Sisters are, are doing. Um, I think those are topics that 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 should be covered. I think of it as a, it's a small effort on my part, um, but it's something I feel compelled to do, something I feel um uh, called to do if i can if i can use that uh, religious mm -hmm. language yeah and and chris i i do think that many agree with me uh that you often accomplish you know uh, a lot in in terms of affecting people and telling the story and sharing that with the, with the world i mean you have received many many times different prizes for awards you know for for the things that you have written so so congratulations i would like to talk with you a little bit about uh, hunger because you know i uh, i think you wrote a, a trilogy um of you know three books uh, about different topics and one of the books was about hunger um i i really think it's a, it's a it's a great book um yeah tell the listeners who are not familiar with the three books that you wrote why you wrote it and um you know why they should start reading it because i think mm -hmm. they should sure sure well it was a trilogy published by uh 
Church Publishing of Seabury imprint, uh, which is the publishing house of the Episcopal Church here in the U.S. Uh, one, uh, the, the first book was, was on Darfur. Um, the second book was on Haiti. And then the third and final, it, it is a trilogy. Um, kind of like the Star Wars trilogy, I guess. Um, um but the the hunger book was the the hunger book was the the last the last of the three um hunger was was and remains an issue that that touches i think all of these all of these places that that i've been to um and so it was a that that book that's the the last book so it's closest in, in my memory certainly um, and I and I want to give a shout out. This was not something I did on my own. Uh, I wrote the text, but uh, photographer and journalist Paul Jeffrey uh, contributed the the photographs, which which are excellent. Mm -hmm. So, Great photographer. Um, yeah, no, wonderful guy, wonderful photographer. Um, but it it felt it felt somehow uh, fitting, if I if I can use that word, to finish the, the trilogy with with a focus on hunger, just because. Hunger uh, is is a topic that just never goes away, and it's 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 been a reality in every 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 single place that I've been to. But I just saw a piece on Afghanistan and uh, how I think it was the the UN saying that um, given given the chaos of the last uh, the last month or so, the country faces a very very um, serious problem with uh, the possibility of um, a famine mm. and uh, possibly affecting children. And of course the, the winter months are coming up and winters can be very, very tough and serious there. So the, so the UN is sounding the alarm on that. And um, that's of course, one kind of, of hunger, uh, one kind of dilemma when you, when you've got a humanitarian crisis like the one uh, Afghanistan is facing now. But there are um, there are situations where there, where there's chronic hunger, and uh, where there's not an immediate crisis, but there's an underlying problem of people not getting enough enough to eat, not uh, attaining food security. Listeners also know, uh, you know, eradicating hunger is is very close to me. It's one of the reasons that I started sure. the hundred mile walk, and I hope to do this year sure. the tenth. Um, and that is related with the seventeen sustainable development goals that we identified as a world, and we should, you know, right. try to to aim right. for them. Um, Chris, you know, last year during my ninth hundred mile walk, uh, I was not able to walk with with other people. So that's why actually I started this podcast to still talk with people about hunger and, and, and poverty and injustice. Um, you know, the question that I always ask to, to my fellow walkers, in this case, virtually, you know, if you would be asked to walk 100 miles, so, you know, 15 to 20 miles a day uh, mm -hmm. for a cause, uh, yeah, why would you walk? For what, what cause? What reason? Oh, my goodness, Maurice, there's so many, <laughs> there's so many causes I mean, there's so many, there's so many challenges in the world. Um, no, I, certainly uh, hunger, hunger would be, would be one of them. I think, uh, um, I will say given, 
given the challenges in, in places, particularly like Afghanistan or South Sudan, which are which are facing or or have faced um, civil war, civil conflict, um, I and where there have been large groups of people migrating uh, within the country and outside the country. Um, certainly anything to do with, with that humanitarian dynamic, you know, war-related, um, I, would, I would walk for that. Certainly uh, something I've mentioned in the, in the articles I've done recently, two articles recently about Afghanistan, uh, the, the issue of women, women and children, who are mm -hmm. uh, you know, the challenges they face in, a, in an environment like like Afghanistan right now? Mm -hmm. um, they're the oftentimes the the frontline uh, victims of war. Mm -hmm. um, so I think anything anything to do anything to do with that theme, but mm -hmm. um, but certainly hunger would yeah obviously I would I would I would also I would walk walk for that uh, for that cause as well, mm -hmm. fighting mm -hmm. hunger. Yeah, understood. Um, no, and you know, I, when when you started talking, it's it's pretty amazing, and 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 thanks for sharing. You know how you, you know, got got yourself into this into this work, and and what, uh, yeah, how that developed. I I still would like to ask you. You know, when your alarm clock goes off, or you wake up in the morning, you know, what makes it that you will get out of bed and start working? What drives you in life? I think again, just just a, a feeling, a, a good feeling, a, a feeling that I'm uh, contributing in a very small way, and um, to shedding light on problems that uh, may not get the attention that they deserve. You know, in our media-saturated environment, there's just a lot of there's a lot of trivial stuff, and uh, and I mean, we're all we all consume trivial stuff. I mean, I I do, you do, we all do. But I think it's important not to lose sight of the fact that we have a responsibility to uh, watch out for each other, to watch out for our brothers and sisters. And um, that means, uh, for journalists like myself, that means doing our work and casting light on um, problems and dilemmas that, 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 that need attention. And uh, luckily, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm amazingly, fortunate and blessed i mean i've got the opportunity to write about uh women a group of women who uh though they're all i mean they're all different and they're all individuals and their congregations are many are different you know they have different uh missions um but on the whole they're a remarkable group of women who are i think help helping the world and it's i'm fortunate enough to be able to to write about them and to write about the work their work but also but these larger themes it the chance to write about the larger themes that I think need to be um, focused on. You know, you mentioned the SDGs. Those are a very important part of what I've covered uh, in the last uh, five years um, for GSR and uh, covering the UN. It's um, the SDGs are they're they're landmarks, you know, and um, no one thinks that they're they're going to be achieved. Um, I, this is a long-term process, you know, it's a long-term process. Mm -hmm. 
but we but we have to keep sight we have to keep our our eyes you know eyes on the prize mm-hmm. and focused on what the what the ultimate goal will be uh, i i'm hopeful that at some point the sdgs will be achieved i don't think mm-hmm. they're, they're not going to be all of them achieved by um you know by the end of the decade but um uh you know bit by bit humanity has made some some progress um but unfortunately, we've also we've got some real challenges, and as we know from the last year year and three quarters, mm-hmm. um, we've been as a species we've been we've been tripped up. You know, mm-hmm. um, I also right now I'm just this week I'm doing a, a doing some reporting on the just transition to um, a more sustainable world, mm-hmm. and that's uh, it's all related, of course, to climate change, and um, again people. People within the church, sisters in particular, not only sisters, though, um, I think the Catholic Church has embraced the issue of climate change uh, in, a, in a very impressive way mm-hmm. with uh, Pope Francis at the top, you know, uh, making making this a priority. Um, we have a lot to overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope we can do it. I, I think we can do it. Uh, but there, my goodness, there are certainly a lot of hurdles facing us and uh, we have to figure out a way to overcome those hurdles hmm. hey chris when i listen carefully to you you know religion uh church church mm-hmm. uh, faith-based organizations spirituality that plays an important role in your life um you know it's yeah often you you uh, have worked for them for those institutions um mm-hmm. what i would like to ask you because i've talked a lot with my fellow walkers as well around this if you look at the younger generation you know how mm-hmm. they look at religion and spirituality how they perceive that sure. Uh, sure. what do you see in your you know in your environment is that different or is that similar to to uh, you know how you looked at look at it well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I live and work in the faith-based world. I'm, I'm, um, I'll just say, I mean, I'm a sort of a, sort of a classic, uh, liberal Episcopalian. Um, and, um, uh, but being a liberal Episcopalian doesn't mean that I, that I don't see the, you know, humanity and people I may d- disagree with, you know, theologically, um, I think the I think church broadly termed uh, is a place where people can can come together with their with their um, with their brokenness, and uh, I, it's one of the few places I think where people people can people can do that. Um, I know as a journalist, I've I don't really cover the U.S. religious world, the landscape, but I sometimes I have to, so I. I know enough about it to know that um, the landscape is changing, and mm. we know that uh, organized, uh, so-called uh, organized religion, is is not faring as well as it used to. People are mm. not going to church in the Christian tr- tradition, not going to church as as often as they did. Um, they're finding alternative ways to express their faith, spirituality. Um, and I think uh, I think young people are very much very much part of that, um, but I don't uh, I don't think that that means that they are um, 
you know, just shutting themselves off from mm-hmm. religion. I don't, I've not covered this topic. Um, a colleague of mine at GSR has. Um, but the issue of uh, nuns and nuns, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you've, you've heard about this. but yeah. the, Can you explain it for the listeners? Yeah, it's the... It's it's the process where sisters are finding they've actually engaged in, in, in dialogue with with young people who are not um, or who are not church church churchgoers themselves, mm-hmm. but somehow want to keep the work the the social dimension that aspect of sisters' work alive somehow, um, and. You know, sisters are very. Uh, I mean, they are, they are religious. They are women religious. You know, they they take their faith seriously and they work within a structure. Um, mm. But I have to say, every sister that I I've known and interviewed and worked with uh, is very open to people of different faiths, people who are not Catholic. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I'm not surprised that sisters, particularly in the U.S. Uh, many of them are engaged in a dialogue with 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 young people who don't mm-hmm. necessarily a- affiliate with the church, with the mm-hmm. Catholic Church, and yet um, they find a, there's a spiritual connection there. And um, one of the this is an issue we talk about. We cover a lot of GSR. I mean, particularly in the U.S., uh, the, the aging of, of Catholic sisters. Uh, the congregations are getting older. Um, and there's a question of how their work will continue. I mean, many of the sisters are in their 70s and 80s. Um, what will happen? What will happen in 20 years? Um, mm. I think many of the congregations will probably not um, will probably not exist. There will be some, I think, um, not but not all of them will will still be around. But they've found ways to to keep their work alive, mm. and uh, be it through uh, social. You know, social work, homelessness ministries that 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 will continue past mm-hmm. their, their their time leaving the scene. Um, I'm just finishing a a series on the issue of land cons- land easements, conservation easements in the Hudson Valley. Mm. That several congregations, uh, sisters congregations, are um, they they have property. They're property rich. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what they've done is handed over not not handed over, but well, handed over in effect um, to conservation groups, so that when um, th- their land will be protected mm-hmm. in perpetuity, so it is not it is not developed, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's very it's property rich land, uh, and you know the uh, real estate, uh, of course, in New York City, but also in the uh, north of the city in the Hudson Valley, um, property is at a premium, but the sisters want want to ensure that it's it's protected. Um, for for the good of all and for the for the good of creation. No, I, yeah, I I really would like to to uh, encourage the, the listeners to check out uh, the GSR, the Global Sister. What's the R stands for? Global Sisters Report. Okay, yeah. Global, Global Sisters, Sisters Report, Report, because there are a lot of interesting articles, yeah. not only written by, by Chris, but many are. 
Krishna, when, when I asked that question about the younger generation and religion and spirituality, you said, I'm not, you know, I'm not really uh, busy with the younger generation in the US, but through your travels, you meet, you know, young people uh, overseas. So what do you see there with, with uh, you know, in countries like Haiti, uh, Afghanistan, Indonesia? What do you see? What did you see? Mm -hmm. Oh, I think, uh, well, I think, I think there are, I think there are, of course, many, many young people who are um, young people who just uh, they're like people, young people anywhere, everywhere. They're not necessarily focused on religious faith, per se. Um, but I do. But I do sense that as as as, as people get older, um, I think the I think the faith, I think the faith traditions will will continue um and i do think i do think there there is a kind of global consciousness among young people on some of these critical issues mm -hmm. i think particularly climate um uh yeah i i'm hopeful i mean right now we 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 look at the situation in the world and again the last the last year and three quarters of it's been hard for 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 the whole world um i'm not complaining i have a job i've been able to continue my work uh i'm frustrated i don't get to travel um right mm -hmm. now but I, I i i hope that that continues but i do think um i do think younger people see the urgency on this on this climate issue mm -hmm. and um i think we'll i think we'll make it work i just did I mean that will make the solutions work. Uh, I just did an interview yesterday with, with with someone on the on the just transition piece I was telling you about, and uh, he was a guy in his uh, uh, late sixties, and he said his he's impressed by like his son-in-law, who takes. I mean, this is a small thing, but I mean, really takes the issue of of um, recycling consumption. Um, Alternative transportation really takes that that seriously, and uh, I see that in my, I I see that around me. It, it, it's funny. I was just thinking, this just popped in my head. Last last night, I had to go into. I live in Queens, and I had to go into Manhattan to meet someone. And um, along the way, um, there was my. I think it was my state assemblyman, a young guy. Um, a young Muslim guy who just 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 got elected from my neighborhood in Astoria, and uh, he's very much based in the the activist world, and he was handing out uh, um, the flyers to get people to send a letter even that night <laughs> to uh, the governor and some other panel to oppose a some fossil fuel burning plant that's being proposed for. Um, here in Queens, and um, I didn't have time to. I didn't have time to go back home and for, write a formal letter. But I did write a you know a, a small little note and sent sent it out. Mm. And I thought that was that was impressive. He was, uh, you know, he was putting out flyers, handing mm -hmm. them to people. There was only five hours until midnight, which was which mm -hmm. was the deadline. But there was a there was a there was an activism there. And you know, I was able to write something very, very, very quickly, and I think that that kind of activism that uh, is uh, 
makes it easy for people to, to get involved. Uh, I think that's a nice, a nice example of what the, I think younger people are, you know, focused on. Hmm. Um, they, they can, they can do things like that really, really quickly. Yeah. No, and, and that, that is definitely hopeful. And a lot of people I've spoken with, uh, you know, when I asked the question about where do you see hope, they talk about the younger generation and especially linked it with their awareness and their action around, you know, climate change and taking care of the, the planet. Um, you know, Chris, you, you have worked for the organization that I work for. Um, this year, it's, you know, we celebrate 75 years of existence. Um, and that's also always a time that you need to reflect. One important thing uh, for us is, you know, how did we do around racial justice issues? So my, my question to you is, if you look at the NGO sector as a whole, you know, faith-based organizations and secular organizations, mm-hmm. and you have to give them a, you know, a grade on a report card, how did this sector do around racial justice and and i'm totally aware that you know there are different types of ngos and one is do did better than others but just give some some feedback on on what you have seen uh, by the ngo sector uh, around racial justice issues within the u.s and overseas Hmm. interesting interesting question maurice um well i can i can only speak in terms of the, the the ngos I've known, and I, uh, I certainly, I, I certainly, when I when I write stories, uh, I use the the material of essentially secular NGOs. I'm thinking of Human Rights Watch in particular. I think they they do good work. Uh, Catholic Relief Services, since I write about the Catholic world, um, I I use I use their their material as as well. I don't. I don't know the I don't know the ins and outs of of how they of how they function. I will say, based on my own experience at CWS and earlier with the with the Methodist Church, uh, certainly there are. Um, I think there, in in the li- liberal Protestant, if I can if I can use that term, world, I think there is there's certainly been an awareness and a very there's been a foundation of um good work on uh, through the years i mean this goes back to you know the 50s 60s 70s um there was a you know some really really out, outstanding work and certainly i think there have been um there have been many uh people of color within within the organizations working um as employees and as and, and as leaders um could more be done i i suppose so um, but I, from what I've witnessed on the faith-based side, at least again, liberal Protestant side, I would, I would say that the groups have done, have done pretty well. Um, but could there be more done? Sure. I don't know what grade I would give. Maybe not any, maybe no one deserves an A, but I'd, I'd give them a B plus certainly. A total different uh, question, Chris. I mean, because this is close to my heart. I, I love music. I also 
know that you love music and, and especially classical yeah. music. We have been yeah. we have been to the same concerts actually in in the past, right? Um, if if I ask you to mention a, a song or a piece of music that embodies for a big part what you are about, what piece of music would that be? Oh, we just we just we discussed this before we began, Maurice. Mm. It's it's so hard, uh, and I I I'm a classical music guy. You can cheat. Um, you can mention three pieces. You know. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I um, but I always stress to people. It doesn't mean that I don't that I don't like uh, pop music, popular music. I do. I mean, just just last night, uh, I, I, the reason I was going to Manhattan is to to, to see a movie, the the new the Jennifer Hudson movie on. Aretha Franklin, um, mm. and uh, I was struck. I mean, I I will say, I mean, one piece in that one song, and that is uh, is Amazing Grace, mm-hmm. um, which uh, is is a is a piece I've I've always I've always loved. Um, mm. And one reason I, I love it is that there's so many different ways to do it, you know, mm. and there's so many different so many different interpretations of it. Um, in, what is your fa- the, what is your favorite? Uh interpretation of amazing grace the one that pops up into your mind now well it just because i just saw the movie um, okay, yeah. but i but but no i mean i think i think aretha franklin's is so uh, you know, marvelous the marvelous mm. interpretation mm-hmm. um and you know there's an interesting story behind that because it's a it's a the, the lyrics are by um a one-time uh, what was it a one-time slave owner i think who had uh saw the light and had become an abolitionist i think um so there so there's a real depth of meaning to mm. to those words you know um about about being loved um in terms of the classical world i mean my god there're just there's so many there's so many pieces uh, uh i mean i do like as i think the, you alluded to the concert we heard i think was Mahler's third Mm. With the New York Philharmonic, uh, certainly the symphonies of Mahler, that, that those, those would be at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the 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 Rite of Spring by Igor Stravinsky, the ballet mm. that caused mm. such a scandal. Uh, I love the the rhythmic uh, boldness of it. Um, I will say it's it's funny in in the last year. Um, during lockdown whatever whatever we call it uh, mm-hmm. there was uh we missed some of the there was a a lot of intended celebrations of beethoven's uh what was it the 250th anniversary of his birth mm. um which um you know got 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 can i mean the live stuff got canceled but but I've been listening to a lot of Beethoven symphonies. I've been listening to the Beethoven symphonies since I was a teenager. But uh, I think something about those in the last year have I've come back to those, and I, I find them to be you know just really bold, innovative works. Um, I like works that are I think bold and innovative. And um, I think you know the Rite of Spring by Stravinsky. That's a bold, innovative work. Mm. Um, but the symphonies of Beethoven, if you hear them in the right performances, I think they're very bold and innovative. How how do you ensure that that you remain bold and innovative, Chris, in your work and what you do? It's been, I will say, it it's been a challenge. It's been a cha- it's been a challenge for all of us. I think in the last three qu- year and three quarters. 
um, and um, it's um, I think you just you just have to just always I think you have to be intentional. I think you have to be intentional. Um, not that I feel I'm necessarily bold and innovative, but I mean, but at the very least alert. And I, I think what's, what's kept me going, particularly in, in this, this time, this last almost two years is, uh, feelings, even with all the challenges, uh, and, and not seeing, not seeing friends, not seeing colleagues. I mean, like yourself in person, um, just, uh, still keeping, uh, in touch with people feeling connected. I think that that's been, that's been really, really key. I think when you don't feel connected um, in life to others or to, to a cause or to your work or something bigger than yourself, uh, I, I think that's when, I think that's when problems start to arise. Thanks, thanks for that, Chris. I mean, what I actually hope this podcast, you know, is contributing to is is uh, connecting people because I really believe that if you're able to connect, that might be a start of a conversation of dialogue, and dialogue is the beginning of you know a better understanding and making this life a little bit better and and ensuring that we really take care of this uh, planet uh, together. Um, sure. You know, I talking with you is always you know a, a blessing and and i i continue to learn from you and thanks for everything you do in in, in terms of your writing uh, sure, and you. being who you are um that the last question that i have for you is is uh do you have any last message an invitation or a question for the listeners well just again uh i'm 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 saying this a lot about what, what what things have been like in the last year and three quarters but um something that something that i think has has impressed me um in the wake of the the the, the uh, george floyd um tragedy is um i think something that i've learned from my um black brothers and sisters is that uh nothing is finished you know this this struggle continues and it's uh you just you just have to keep going and it's not always easy and it's sometimes it's tiring <laughs> and it's and it's been tiring the last year and three quarters but we we really have no other choice but to just just keep going and uh keep uh, you know it's a cliche but it's i think it's true you have to just keep keep hope alive and uh i think we keep it alive by just each of us in our own way, doing our own, making our own small contribution. Great. Thank you so much, Chris. And, and uh, yeah, sure, I really um, invite the listeners to check out your articles if they haven't as yet. And, and the books that you've written is really important uh, work, still relevant, and, you know, in, in a way, unfortunate. Uh, so, so check that out and you will find it in the notes of our podcast. So thanks, uh, Chris. No, pleasure, Maurice. Good to see you again. Thank 
you for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.